0: I want to go ahead and invite Pam Rivera up. She's going to read for us out of God's Word this morning. Colossians chapter 2 verses 1 through 5. And church, if you would please stand with me out of respect for God's Word. Uh, if you're new to Central, the reason we stand uh, is not something magical or anything like that that we do. We believe that God's Word is His uh, the authoritative um, space in our life and, and thing in our life. And so we stand out of respect for God. Uh, That and the desire to hear from the Lord this morning. And so, Pam, I'll pass it off to you. Good morning. Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Thank you. You may have a seat. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Isaiah 40, verse 8. Father, we thank you for this morning, and we do thank you for the wonderful privilege that it is to just come and to just just praise you, to be reminded of all of your character and your nature and and who you are and what you have done, uh, both in this world and in our own individual lives as well. Lord, we do praise you. And now, Lord, we enter into a time where we get to gather together as your sons and your daughters and as people who are looking to you or, or, or... maybe seeking after you at some level and in some way. And we come now to hear from your word. We come to uh, put ourselves underneath your word and to submit ourselves to your word, Lord. And so I just ask this morning that as we do this, that your spirit would be present with us, Father, that he would open our eyes and our ears to whatever it is that you would have us to know this morning. Father, whether it's us seeing a new aspect of your character or whether it's us being convicted and challenged and corrected in our own lives or seeing the world in a new way through your eyes and your lenses, whatever it is, Father, the beauty of this time is that we can trust that your spirit will work in each of us according to where we are and what we need to hear and what we need to be moving towards as we seek to grow in our likeness of Jesus. Father, I pray for those that are in this space that maybe... Maybe they just got a lot of questions. Maybe they don't know what all this Christian stuff is about, and maybe even some of the things that we've done this morning have seemed strange and odd. Lord, I just want to pray that this morning they would feel your love um, through the people of God in the space. I pray this morning, Lord, that as we look to your word, uh, that you would just give them what they need. And I pray that, that, they would open, that their eyes would be open to see your glory and your beauty, because that's really what we're here for. Uh, and so, Lord, thank you so much for that. Um, Lord, pray that your work would be done this morning in us. Uh, and we just ask all these things in the precious, precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So, uh, I, I don't know if I have told this story or not before. I, I know I've said it before in different circumstances, different places, but. Uh, I had a wonderful privilege, um, somewhere back in 2000, 2001, I don't remember really exactly the date, I'm terrible with dates, but had this wonderful privilege to be able to go to the country of Guatemala uh, to serve on a missions trip. And this is actually got a wonderful time. We got to serve with a missionary that we even support now, even still, uh, through this church. So 20-some-odd years later, they continue to do ministry there. But I got to go with a, a college group at the time and got to serve there in Guatemala, a ministry called In Ministries with Mike and Latonya Lewis. And it was a great trip. And at the end of the trip, we got to do this Oh, I don't know. It was an opportunity to kind of see the country a little bit. So we got to go to a a city called Antigua and do some shopping and do all that fun stuff that you get to do. But we also had this opportunity to be able to climb a volcano, an active volcano. So not like a dormant volcano, but an actual uh, active volcano by the name of Mount Pacaya. And I was like, yeah, who doesn't want to do that, Right. I'm 20 years old thinking that sounds like the, the opportunity of a lifetime, so this is going to be fantastic. So um, a bunch of us decided we were going to do that, and so we paid our money, got on a bus, and we start driving our way to the volcano. And I don't know exactly when it hit me. I don't know if it was when we kind of made one of those many curves and saw Mount Pacaya and it was actually smoking, um, I'm not sure if it was then or if it was when we asked the guide at the time, like, hey, how do we know that this isn't going to erupt on us? And he kind of just shrugged his shoulders like, I, I don't know. Um, I, I don't know if it was that or if it was when we got to uh, the, the mouth of the volcano or right before we got to the mouth of the volcano. And he's like, oh, by the way, don't breathe in the, the sulfur because that hurts really bad. I don't know if it was when I actually breathed in the sulfur, um, and felt the pain of breathing sulfur, which is the worst sting you could ever have in your lungs, by the way. I don't know when it was, or even if it really ever hit me, but in that entire thing, I realize now in my 20s, I was a little bit deluded. I was under a delusion of my own safety. Like, I thought, okay, I, I can do this, like, I- I'm all right with this. And some of that delusion came from my own naivety. Some of it came from uh, my guide as he was leading us up there. I figured, well, surely he knows what's good, and he's done this a million times, so surely he's trustworthy. I should have known better when I saw him start kicking boulders into the lava. Um, I was like, you're going to make it mad. Um, but <laughs> nonetheless, like, I was under this delusion, and, and I felt it in my heart. Like When we started to head down the mountain, I was like, whew, we made it. And I didn't realize how much of a delusion I was under in regards to my safety until like two months later, the volcano made national news, like international news, and actually erupted, and and literally the whole section that we were staying on like blew off, and the whole thing just blew, and we were like, huh, that probably wasn't the safest thing in the world for me to do. But again, 20-year-old, 20, 20 21, I don't remember exactly how old I was. Like, I thought I was safe. Now, and here's the reason why I, I tell us that story. is because it's interesting how when we're in the midst of a delusion or we don't see something clearly or we're underneath some sort of a deception, we don't really know that we're underneath that delusion. Like, we think we've got it figured out. We think that it makes sense. We think, in that circumstance, I thought I was perfectly safe. Come to find out, I wasn't safe at all. Like, it was just the, the, the Lord's hand that kept us there. Now, I'd probably still do it again because it was awesome. But nonetheless, like I was under that delusion. And, and here's the thing. In Colossians, in chapter 2, Paul is writing to the people of Colossae. And he's making a very clear warning to a very similar issue for them, spiritually speaking. And you see it there in the verse that we read this morning. In verse 4, Paul says this, I say this, so all the things that he's just said, the few things that he's just said in the first couple of verses, he says, I said this in order that no one may delude you with plausible, plausible arguments. Here's my question for us this morning. Are we in a similar spiritual danger of some form of delusion? of being deluded, of being deceived in some way, shape, or form. See, Paul certainly believed that there was a danger for the folks in Colossae and in Laodicea. Because remember, he's writing this not just to the people of Colossae, but also to the people of Laodicea. In fact, he says, after you're done reading this, send it on so they can get it. And so Paul sees a real danger And my goal is to help us be reminded that this is a real danger that's potential for you and for me, even in 2022. Just like me and my deluded sense of safety on that volcano, it can lead us into some really dangerous places in our spiritual lives. And so we need to be aware of this. Now, as I jump into this, it's really important that we remember the context in which Paul is writing to. And it may sound like this is just natural and it comes really easy, but oftentimes when we're reading the Word of God, like we miss these things. But Paul, he's writing to a group of believers, just like you. They're not different than us. They have cultural pressures, just like you. They have family problems just like you. They are coming out of a belief system that wasn't aligned with the Word of God, just like most of us. Like, we're very similar to these people. Now, yeah, there's differences in all kinds of different things, but he's writing to real people who had real challenges, real thoughts, real beliefs, real understandings. That's, that's important. This is a historical people that he's writing to. And already, even a few Years after Jesus has gone to be in heaven, there are teacher, teachings that are coming into the church bringing slight variations of the gospel and of faith and what it means to walk faithfully in the Christian walk. The point is that there is a real deep danger that good Christian people, men and women, just like us, could be deluded and deceived. We need to be reminded of that, don't we? This is easy to think, oh, that's them. That could never happen to me. But deception is everywhere. And we're going to talk about specific things that bring about delusion in the weeks to come. That's not my goal today. But today I want to think about a few things that can make us susceptible to delusion. Now, if you go back to that verse 4 that I read a few moments ago, Paul says this. He says, I say this in order that you may not be deluded. Now, what was he saying beforehand? Because that's an important thing to say. Say, Paul's telling us, like, hey, do this so that you won't be deluded. And, And so what are those things? Well, there's a few of them. There's three of them in the first section of the text that we read this morning. The first one is, he says, I said, be encouraged so that you won't be deluded. Which means this. If you are in a space of discouragement, you might be in danger of being deluded and deceived. If you were in a space of discouraged hearts, you might be in that place right now. Uh, let me ask the question. How many of you have ever felt discouraged? Raise your hands. You know why this is important that we raise our hands? It's because you need to see you're not alone. Right? Like, we've all been in a space where we've been discouraged. Now, why? There's all kinds of different reasons. Like, your discouragement might have come when you saw other people flourishing in ways that they didn't deserve. Or flourishing in ways that, frankly, seems like it goes even against the Word of God in some spaces. I mean, so for those of you that are in our Gospel Life classes, you study the book of Habakkuk, which is the question that's being raised. It's like, why are these evil people prospering? So maybe you've been discouraged there. Maybe your discouragement came when you realized that you weren't getting the result in your business or your career or your home or your exercise or your education or the relationships that you hoped for or that you expected, right? Like, You hoped that if you put in this amount of work, if you put in this amount of effort, that you'll get this result. And if that doesn't happen, discouragement comes real fast, doesn't it? And you just be like, well, I've tried. I've done what I can. Spiritually, we can be discouraged when we aren't getting the feeling that we felt we should get with walking with Jesus or that experience of spirituality that we felt like we should have. Maybe spiritual discouragement comes when you're fighting sin in your life and you just keep fighting the same thing over and over and over again and you just keep finding yourself trapped in that space. Maybe it comes when you see other people not growing in the Lord and you're like, well, why are we doing all this? But, man, discouragement comes from all kinds of different places. Discouragement can come when we experience hardship, challenge, pain, suffering, which we talked about last week. We've all been discouraged at times in our lives. And discouragement almost always, not always, but almost always, stems from one of two places. And we want to talk about that. Discouragement comes from either wrong expectations or misplaced hope. So wrong expectations. Wrong expectations for your faith. Wrong expectations for God. Wrong expectations of what it means to be a Christian. Christian. Let me give you an example. I don't know if you've ever heard of George Whitfield, um, Great father of the faith. Um, Love reading his biography. He's an amazing man. He, he ran a bunch of orphanages, and, and if you ever read his biography, you see that George Whitfield was just a man of prayer. Like when I mean man of prayer, we're talking hours upon hours upon hours of dedicated prayer and God moving in miraculous ways as a result of his prayer. Now, here's what oftentimes could happen to us. We pick up a biography of George Whitfield, and we're like, "Man, I want to pray for 14 hours like George Whitfield. I want to get up at two o'clock in the morning and pray until nine and then go to work and see God do all these miraculous things. You know what? I'm just going to do it." And so you enter into that pursuit with the false expectation that overnight you can become George Whitfield. George Whitfield didn't become George Whitfield overnight. It was years and years of growth and suffering and challenge and discipline, one thing built upon another that led George Whitfield to be the man you read about in a biography. And so if you go into the effort thinking, man, I'm just going to be George Whitfield tomorrow, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to see God do all of these things, like, listen, you're, you have false expectations. Guess what's going to lead to it? Discouragement. You're going to be discouraged. Just like if you had the, the false expectation that you were going to go through our Bible reading plan and never miss a day. Just to give you guys some hope, we're all, I'm on track with my secret readings. We're like six days behind in our family readings. All right, that's your pastor saying that I'm six days behind in the family readings. It's okay. But if you went in thinking that I'm going to do this every single day and never mess up, you're bound to be discouraged because you had a wrong expectation. Guess what? If you're six days behind, who cares? Pick it up today. Right? And then tell your kids to look forward to the day you're going to spend like six hours reading the Bible to catch up. <laughs> right? My kids have said a couple of times, we're like, we're going to read six chapters tonight. and They're like, oh, right? So here's my point. like, Discouragement comes when we have false expectations. But it also can come when we have misplaced hope. Like me in that volcano putting my hope for my safety in a guide. Which looking back on it, he was like 25. He probably didn't know anything about volcanoes. He probably just knew the path. Like and they were willing to pay him some money. I don't know what it is in Guatemala and I don't remember but they were just gonna give him some money to take a bunch of dumb Americans up to this mountain and look down into the mouth of a volcano. Like, if I have my misplaced hope in him, then if something goes wrong, I'm going to get really discouraged because he's not going to be able to follow through with where my hope was. And so discouragement oftentimes comes from wrong expectations or from misplaced hope. Now, here's the danger. When we are in a place of discouragement or we have discouraged hearts, we can easily begin to look for and listen to other voices besides God. Right? Like, I've already tried this, and I've already tried that. I've got to go find something else. I've got to go listen to something else. I've got to find something to bring encouragement to my heart. And so oftentimes what happens, instead of us asking the question, am I discouraged because I had the wrong expectations, or am I discouraged because I had misplaced hope, we just start to try to find other voices to encourage us. Right, so we come to church, and we think, well, maybe Darren's going to really encourage my heart today. And if he doesn't, then I'll go to another church, and maybe they'll encourage my heart today. Now, this is, this is listen, it, your, discouragement isn't always a reflection of misplaced hope. It isn't always a reflection about wrong expectations, but they can be really big red flags in our lives. Amen. And so the danger when we have discouraged hearts is that we begin to be susceptible to delusion. And instead of looking to Jesus, we start to look for new hopes and new expectations. And if your discouragement comes from real issues in your life, and you know where you need to be, you need to be with the community of faith. And you need to take that discouragement to the throne which leads me to the next point. Because Paul says, he says, I've said this, I told you to have encouraged hearts because I don't want you to be deluded. And then once he say right after that, he says I want you to be knit together in love so that you won't be deluded. So the negative of that is that we're in danger of delusion if we find ourselves in isolation or in hatefulness. If you think in this space that you are better off alone than with the community of faith, I would warn you that you've already begun to be deluded at some level. Do you hear what I said? If you believe that you can walk the Christian faith alone and by yourself, isolated, on an island, then you are already likely deluded at some level. We weren't meant to walk in isolation. We were not meant to do it. One of the best ways to bring delusion into our lives is to only listen to our voices. Now, this is one of the best ways to bring delusion in your life is to only listen to your own voice about yourself and how you view yourself. How many of you trust your own opinion of yourself? Right? But if that's the only opinion you hear, what are you gonna else are you gonna to listen to? So not only your voice about you, but the voice about other people that are around you within the community of faith. You're the voice about God's word. And, and as you go to God's word, what you hear in the teachings, like if you are all alone, that is unbelievably dangerous. And you may have already begun to listen to other voices. You may have already begun it. Now what's interesting in this is that we can all know this to be true, but we have to press into community. And if you've already come to a place where you, you, you find yourself and you see that you're always right and you're always the one with truth and you're always the one that has the right answer, you're always the one that's criticizing everybody else and you're pointing at everybody else looking at what they're not doing okay and they're not doing um, the way that it should be done and you believe that, that you're good and you're perfect, guess what? You're probably not. And you're beginning to walk not in love, but you're beginning to walk actually in exactly the opposite of what Paul calls us to. If you begin to find that you are are seeing things that everybody disagrees with and that the Word of God disagrees with, you probably should be concerned. This is the reason why, for, for us, when I go into the Word of God and I study and I'm spending time in the Bible... And if I come to a place where I'm reading something in Colossians, and I'm like, oh, man, this is, this is amazing. Like, I've never seen this before. And I then take that to our teaching team, which is a group of pastors and men who go over these scriptures, and we work with, through those things together. And I take it to that team, and that team looks at me and says, hmm, Darren, I, I think you're way off. Like, I don't see that in the scripture. And I say, you know what? You guys are all wrong. And then I go read all the commentaries and all the commentaries. I can't find my opinion in any of those commentaries, right? And so I just say, well, you know what? They must just not have caught it. And I come up here and I stand and I preach that and teach that. Is that not unbelievably dangerous? Yet how many people study the word of God all by themselves, never engaging in any kind of community where they could be pressed, where someone might say, hmm, you know what? Not sure that's the right way to take that. Isolation will bring about delusion, and that's why Paul says, I want you to be knit together in love, caring for each other, sharpening one another, pressing one another into truth. We need to be engaged in this. Next, Paul says that he wants us to reach the the riches, the full riches, or the riches of full assurance. And I'm going to spend the rest of our time here because I I don't believe that this is a, a warning that was heard by some of the people that Paul was writing to specifically in Laodicea. And they became deluded because of their lack of or their misplaced assurance. So Paul says, I want you to have full assurance, meaning that the negative of that is if you don't have full assurance, then you're in danger of being deluded. Now, in Revelation, we see the Laodicean church again. Right, So Paul's writing to the people in Laodicea, and he's writing them these things and saying, like, I don't want you to be deceived, And then later in Revelation, we find Laodicea in the early parts of Revelation. And God is rebuking that church. Listen to what God says to the people of Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3. And I think it can give us some insight into this particular point. Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 through 16. I know your works, and you're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit, vomit you out of my mouth. That's, that should be scary, shouldn't it? Some form of the very deception and delusion that Paul was warning the people of Laodicea against, against crept in anyway and made them lukewarm in their faith. It made them lukewarm in their faith. And as a result, God threatens to spit them out, vomit them out. Now, I, I, whether or not that's uh, their lampstand in terms of their, their, their witness as a church, or whether that's individually and has to do with salvation, like that's not the point. The point is, I don't want to be spit out of God's mouth. Right? Do any of us? See, these people who thought they were faithfully following him, now that's really important, isn't it? The Laodiceans would have thought they were following Jesus. They would have thought they're doing everything right. If someone would have asked them, are you a Christian? They would have said, absolutely, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. If someone had said, do you feel like you're being faithful? They would have said, absolutely, we're being faithful. We're doing exactly what we're supposed to be doing. And they would have had things to point to. They would have said, look at, look at our works. Look what we've done. Look at how religious we are. Look how great we are. The pagan world around them probably would have even looked at the Laodicean church and said, hmm, like those people are pretty religious in their own rights. Shouldn't this be a warning to us? Just because we declare ourselves to be right doesn't mean we're right. And so we need to be looking at God's word to bring up and and examine ourselves as we engage it. And so here's the thing. Are you, are we lukewarm? This is a scary thought. Do you have the riches of assurance and the full knowledge of what it means to be in Christ and and to see all the things that he's done for us? Are you walking in assurance? Now, I want to bring this really practically because there's two things, there's two sides of the same coin when it comes to assurance that can lead to lukewarmness, that can lead to some form of delusion in our lives, and I want to look at those. The first of those is overconfidence. Now, I want to, again, I want to say that these are red flags. These are not guarantees, but if you're overconfident or you're overly assured of your salvation, it's not saying you don't have it. It's just a red flag that you need to be aware of. And this seems to be a problem for the people of Laodicea. Look at Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. So here's how this plays itself out. I've got salvation. Jesus died for me. I- I'm saved. My soul's taken care of. Now I- I- I'm free to live my life however I want. I'm, I'm free to do whatever I want. Like I- I'm saved and I'm confident in my salvation because I, I confess something. I confessed in front of the church that I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, therefore I'm good and I'm now in the saved category and now everything I do from here on out means nothing and it doesn't matter. Obedience doesn't matter. I mean, after all, if Jesus is just an investment for the afterlife or some form of therapy to help our lives get a little bit better here or if there's no humility that comes from us understanding the immeasurable grace and mercy that we daily depend on or if you live like you don't need to strive, to repent, to confess, to serve the King, that you have no need of anything, that you've already received the promise, then being lukewarm in your faith and your love of Jesus, your good works, your love of others, that is inevitable. It's inevitable. If you believe, I'm good, I'm already rich, I've already got it, then why strive anymore? Do you see the danger and the delusion that can come in? And it's such a sneaky delusion because our view of reality gets skewed often because uh, our religiosity and our piety looks so good. It's simply often though seen in comparison to other people or to the sinners out there. And so we look at them and say, see, look, obviously I'm fine. Like, I'm good. And so what's the point? Here's the thing. The problem with this idea and the problem with this mindset is it's scripture. Scripture tells us to always strive to enter the kingdom, to seek first his kingdom. The scripture tells us that nobody is perfect. None of us. Scripture tells us that we are to abide in Jesus. Are we to abide in Jesus just once or do we abide in Jesus every minute of the day? Scripture tells us to walk in the Spirit. Are we to do that once, or are we to do that day in and day out, minute by minute? We're not to walk in the flesh. We're to strive. We're to run the race. We're to endure to the end. We're to work out our salvation. We're to bear fruit in keeping with our repentance or our turning away from sin. Lukewarmth isn't good enough for this. You see, if we really realize that we're in the battle of our, for our souls in a sense that, yes, Jesus has already paid for us. Yes, Jesus has saved us, but he's called us into something. He's called us into the fight. He's called us to stride. He's called us to obey and to do the works that, he, that he's prepared for us. Then that will drive us not to lukewarm, but to go, man, I'm going to push forward. If you don't, and you just sit back in overconfidence, In the battle, you're going to get pushed over, and you're going to lose. You're going to lose the battle. Overconfidence leads to lukewarmth, and it leads to failure. I hope the Chiefs aren't overconfident today. I had to throw that in there. I just did. I anyway. Sorry. But Super Bowls they don't they don't come when you're just lukewarm. And guess what? If we see that with something as trivial as a game, how much more should we take that seriously when it comes to our eternal souls? Our eternal souls. The second way that a lack of misplaced assurance leads to lukewarmth is uncertainty. This is the other side of the coin, right? So on one side of the coin, it's overconfidence. I'm good, don't need to do anything. Everything's fine. Don't need, as long as I go to church once a week, I'm fine. Like, right? That's it. On the other side is a complete uncertainty of unsure, uh, their assurance. Like, you just are always unstable. You're always unsure, wondering, have I lost my salvation? Have I done too much? Have I, have I fallen? I don't know. Have any of you ever been bungee jumping? You can raise your hand, because I really want to question your sanity. <laughs> um, but here's the thing. So if you go bungee jumping and, and you do that, if you have an uncertainty about the rig or the rope or the, the person that's strapping you in and making sure that everything's going uh, like locked and loaded and good to go, are you going to jump? I really hope you say no, right? Like if you are uncertain about that, if your faith and trust is not 100% in, in that system, then you should never jump. You won't jump. This is the same way it is with our faith. If you don't feel assured of Jesus's love for you, his care for you, the sufficiency of his blood over you to care and take care of and walk you through your failures and your weaknesses, if you your struggles and your failures are all that you see, that's all you focus upon. If you don't feel assured of his provision for your life, that he's, he genuinely cares about every moment, and that he's actually seeking to lead you and be patient with you, you're never going to step out in any form of faith. See, if you've been deluded to think that you cannot be confident in salvation, then you're never going to leap off the platform. You're never going to leap off the platform. God hates when his people become lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. He calls us, and he saved us from more than just a prideful self-centeredness, a type of religion that we live, or a constant life of unstable, tentative, lack of assurance in the salvation of Jesus Christ. I don't believe that anybody wants to fall into this delusion, but I think many people do, and it's why we need to be so cautious and have our eyes open and be watchful and prayerful so that these deceptions do not come. And here's the thing, remember, like you'll still say I'm a Christian, and you can still be underneath one of these delusions. Walking in encouragement, walking in love, walking with community with others, walking in the riches of assurance protects us from all kinds of deceptions of the enemy. Now here's where I want to turn, because I want to leave us this morning with where we can find true assurance. True assurance. Not overly confident and not uncertain assurance. Assurance. But real assurance, because guess what? It can be had. And the scripture calls us and tells us that it can be had. And it's something that we can anchor to, and it's something we can marvel at, and it can help us avoid the delusions and the deceptions of the enemy. So true assurance. If you struggle with this, just be reminded, this is the word of God. And the following three things I want to talk about, they can be found in Ephesians chapter 1. I don't have time to read the whole thing, but I'd highly encourage you to do that this week. So you can add that to your scripture reading. Um, If you're already behind, just start with Ephesians 1. That's fine. The first step to assurance is truly believing that you are depraved. You're depraved. Ephesians uses the word full of trespasses, other scriptural terms are wicked, broken, blind, deceived, handed over to evil, uh, full of wickedness, darkness, slaves to sin, capable of only even evil. Pretty good picture of ourselves, isn't it? But the scripture is pretty clear. We are depraved. We need to truly believe. And we've talked about this, but it is so easy to forget this especially within the church because we can so quickly compare ourselves to other people. But we truly need to believe that in our flesh, we have no hope. We have no trustworthy source of wisdom that will lead us to life. Some never come to grips with this. Some never see the depth of their depravity. And so they come to a place where they feel good enough. They feel like I'm okay. Other people falsely come under the belief that they've escaped their depravity. Like, they'll look in their history and say, I was depraved then, but now I'm a Christian and I'm not anymore. Like, now I'm good. Someone laughed, rightfully so. Like, I'm good now. Like, look how moral I am now. Like, I don't watch all the bad movies and I don't drink and I don't cuss and I don't smoke. Uh, Oh, I'll smoke a cigar, but not a cigarette because cigarettes are bad, right? We got all these things in our heads that we judge and say, well, no, I'm much better now. No, no. You're still depraved in your flesh. Our humility that God wants us to walk in must stem from a true understanding that we have nothing good to offer. And as long as we're in the flesh, we will be plagued by sin. Amen? 1 Corinthians 10 and many other places makes this clear, but I want to read 1 Corinthians 10. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. If you are here this morning and you believe that yesterday you did not sin at all and you were great before the Lord, watch out. That's what this is telling you. Like, if you ever come to a place where you think, I'm good, like that was a good day, like I nailed it today, like I, I, I hit it on, I hit the nail on the head today, like Jesus must be so happy with me. He wants to chill with me and hang out because man, I rocked it today. Like, I even told that cashier to come to church this week, right? So, like, good week. No, no, this scripture says, if you think you stand, you better take heed lest you fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Isn't that encouraging, by the way? So many people hide their temptations and their sin because they're afraid that that people will look down on you. Listen, there isn't a temptation that you're suffering with right now that isn't common to me and everybody else here. Lust, greed, pride, anger. You're in good company. Because we all have them. It all works itself out in our lives. You're not perfect. It says, God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, does that promise that we should come to a place or be able to come to a place where we can always avoid temptation, and never sin? Scripture says absolutely not because nobody, nobody will come to a place where they reach perfection in this life. You don't have to hide it. You could admit it. You're not perfect. And your failures, they're not unique. They're just like mine and vice versa. There's a freedom in in being okay with not being okay. I'm not saying that you want to be okay with your sin and stay that way, but be okay with understanding that God sees all of the blackness of your soul and all of the blackness of your sin and all of your failures and all of your doubts. And guess what? He still sent Jesus for us. That's the gospel. Now you may be sitting here right now and be like, no way would Jesus die for me if he really knew. No, no. He knows. He knows better than you know. And as good as you think you are, to Wee's point, you're way worse a couple of months ago. You're way worse. Once you understand this, this assurance that can come, because you understand who you really are. But here's the next part. It doesn't leave us with that, because Ephesians goes on, and it says if you realize that you're depraved, you also need to realize that you have been declared You have been declared a son or daughter. Ephesians 1 talks about our adoption. Listen, before you knew it, before you did anything to deserve it, before you acted like a son or daughter of his at all, he said, mine. That's amazing. That depraved nature that you have, you didn't escape at first. You didn't make it better at first. He declared you his while you were in the midst of your depraved nature. His declaration doesn't depend on you at all. It doesn't depend on me at all. It depends on the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. Most of you don't know this, but uh, Karen and I um, have just started uh, entering into the process of adopting another child. We're excited for this. We're we're walking through that process right now. Um, This little guy is in Thailand. He's three years old right now. Here's, here's where this comes into play. Can't tell you his name yet because they're not telling they're telling us we can't, but anyway, he doesn't even know we exist. He doesn't act like us. He doesn't talk like us. I don't know whether he's a good kid or a bad kid. I know he's a depraved kid, right? Because that's what we're talking about. I don't know anything about him. I don't know if he smells good. I don't know if he stinks. I don't know if his voice would irritate me or not irritate me. I don't know any of those things. I don't know this kid at all. He doesn't know me at all. He doesn't even know I exist. Guess what? He's my son. You want to know why he's my son? I declared him my son. Because I said, we're going after you. Nothing can change that. Nothing's going to stop that. Like We're going to pursue this little guy, and it doesn't have anything to do with him. And nothing that comes to light in the information, if we find out that he's deaf instead of just blind, we'll still pursue him because we've already said he's our son. Shouldn't that give you tremendous assurance? Because you not only recognize how bad you are, but you see that God has said, mine. My son, my daughter. What an amazing thing that is. I didn't ask this kid to start walking like me and talking like me. I didn't ask him to to function like a McClintock. He doesn't. He doesn't carry anything. He doesn't even know we're here. He does not know that our hand of love has begun to reach towards him. And our love, by the way, has nothing to do with a feeling. Isn't that also amazing? Isn't that also encouraging? It has to do with a choice a commitment to say he's ours. He is my son because we have declared him our son. We are the sons and daughters of God because he has declared any who put their faith in Jesus to be sons and daughters, period. Your assurance of sonship or daughterhood does not rest upon you. If you have seen your sin, if you have cried out to him, if you have begun to believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life, not yourself, but him only, he will make you his. So be assured. Be assured. So your assurance should come from your understanding that you are depraved, and your assurance should come from your understanding that you are declared, and your assurance should come from your dependence upon him. So, you can take steps of faith. God can use you. God can proclaim his good news through you. You can love others. You can pray. You can come to him, not only on your best days, but your worst days. And I'm going to guess that most of you in this space have felt like on your bad days, you need to distance yourself from God. That's not how this works. It's not how it works. He doesn't say, come to me on your good days, but I don't want to talk to you on your bad days. He knew about your bad days when he adopted you in the first place. And he still said, come on. Now I've fallen into this delusion in my own life so many times where I fall into sin and I come to the word of God, and I'm like, God, I don't. how can I read? How can I read this? No, no, but I'm dependent on him in my good moments and my bad moments. I'm dependent upon him for my righteousness and my unrighteousness. None of it comes from me. I need him to cover up my sins, and he is the one who works through me to do anything that good that comes out of me. Right? Like, I'm just dependent, and so I can be assured. And so you know why this keeps me from lukewarmness? Because now. On your worst day, when you go into the gym, or you go into the restaurant, or you go into the grocery store, and you hear the accusation that "man, you're such a, you're you're so bad, and you're so terrible, and you failed so many times," you you can't tell anybody about Jesus. You get to say, "I know," and I'm going to tell him anyway, because I'm not dependent upon me to do it. I'm not dependent upon my eloquence. I'm not dependent upon my wisdom. I'm not dependent upon my goodness. I'm dependent upon his strength and my weakness. I'm dependent upon his spirit in the midst of my failure. I'm dependent upon his grace and his mercy, not my ability, not my goodness. This frees us to jump off the cliff and say, I trust God in all of it. Right? Like, I don't have to be lukewarm. You don't have to be lukewarm because you can be assured in your faith. I pray that everybody in this building this morning and those that are listening online that you would be encouraged that if you're struggling with discouragement in your own heart that you would feel encouragement this morning and that you would press against those those false expectations and that false hope i pray this morning that if you're in isolation that you would find community this morning And that if you're starting to see some of these red flags in your life of delusion, that maybe you're there, that you would confess those things. I pray this morning that we would all reach the full riches of assurance in Christ Jesus so that we might not be deceived and that we would no longer be lukewarm. Amen? And by the way, I think we can all be lukewarm sometimes, can't we? I think it's good to just admit that. Just admit, like, I can be like Laodicea. Neither hot nor cold. I'm just, nah. Just, nah. I treat my faith like, nah. I treat reading the scriptures like, nah. I treat prayer like, nah. It's lukewarm. Church, this is not our call. So here's what I want to do this morning. We're going to close a little bit different. I mean, it's not terribly different for us, but, but Ryan and the team, they're going to come out and they're going to lead us in a song that talks about Jesus as our cornerstone to remind us of our assurance in Jesus, okay? And, and here's what I want to encourage you. If you were in this space this morning and, and you have heard some of these things and be like, oh my goodness, like, like some of these are red flags in my own life and maybe I'm suffering from some of these things and I'm struggling in some of this stuff, like, or you found yourself in isolation or you find yourself to struggle with your assurance in Christ, I want to encourage you to confess those things and lay those things down before the Lord. As we sing this song, we're going to have prayer counselors and elders and others, pastors up here to pray over you, to talk with you. Remember, you're not supposed to do this alone. And so if you even feel the slightest little bit of conviction in your heart, that's the Spirit. So listen to Him. And I would say, maybe you don't feel comfortable coming up front. That's fine. Talk to your spouse. Just lean over and and confess what God's doing in your own heart this morning. But I would also call you in this space that maybe you've been deluded in regards to what life is. And maybe for the first time, you actually have felt, man, like, I, I want assurance that I'm okay with God. And you just have never come to a place of putting trust in Jesus at all. And you've been relying on your own goodness or your own wisdom. Like this morning, don't leave this building and miss the call of Jesus to say, come trust me. You can be assured of life. Don't miss his call. And so I want to encourage you as we sing this song, if that's you in this room, and maybe you have no idea what that means, just take that one step of faith to come down and talk to somebody. That doesn't save you. Let me just be very clear. It doesn't save you at all. But, but we want to walk with you and talk with you and answer your questions and, and help you walk through those doubts and those challenges. You just need to take a step towards Jesus this morning. And I want to encourage you to do that as we sing. I'm going to pray. And as I pray, I want to invite our prayer counselors, our elders, and, and, and others to come to the front and just be available as we then move into a song. Father, we would be very foolish to see the temptation to be deluded and deceived or to see the danger of that to only be a danger that someone else has in their life. We are all susceptible to these things. And as we've seen with the Laodicea, even even them as they failed in that, even in the midst of that failure, you're still calling them to come back. You stand at the door and knock. Lord, may we answer the door. May we we live in the fullness of assurance. Father, I want to pray for those in this room that are your people, your sons and daughters. Would you encourage our hearts this morning to walk in the full assurance of our faith? I pray, Father, for those this morning that that don't know you, that that feel this weight, they feel this prick upon their hearts and their souls, that they would take a step of faith and of boldness and come talk. Lord, I, I just pray that they would see hope in you in your son. I pray that they would see life in you, joy in you, freedom. What a freedom it is that we don't have to bear the weight of these things on our own. Father, I pray that you would just continue to work in our hearts in the next few moments. I just ask these things, Lord, in the precious name of your son, Jesus, amen. Would you please stand with us as we sing?